Amosi Tanana Everlasting Father, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, majestic in all your ways, we cannot fathom the depth of your love for us. Can we understand the depth of your wisdom? We marvel at all that you do. We really are so grateful, knowing fully well that on this planet it's, we, it's really difficult for us to fully comprehend who you are. And so for the little we do, we come and we join the elect in heaven to say, may all glory, honor, dominion and power belong to you, for you deserve them. We continue to have that wonderment that you will even use earthen verses like us and allow us to call you our Father. What a great honor, what a privilege, because your son, Jesus Christ, has made it possible that we are called your children. So we are extremely grateful that we also have been given this high privilege to assemble together to study a portion of your word that you have so graciously given through the Holy Spirit, through human authors, and also that you give human beings the ability to interpret what the Holy Spirit has also given through other human beings. So in all, we come this morning in obedience to the instruction that we should not forsake the assembling together of the believers, especially as we see the evil days draw near. We know we are in tumultuous times, but we also know that underneath are the everlasting arms of sustainers, for which we are grateful. So we pray now that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. The last song we sang, some of you probably know, that's one of my favorite hymns. And uh, what it does, it, it reminded me of something, which is, uh, I was so enthusiastic about singing that song over 50 something years ago. One of the sisters, young lady said, call my name and say, please brother, stick with preaching. <laughs> so, anytime we see that, we say, yeah, I am sticking with preaching. We well, thank God. Anyway, so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. It is, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar. Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participant with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now the message of this passage of 1 Corinthians 10 uh, verses 14 through 22 that we have been considering is that believers should avoid idolatry since everything associated with it is incompatible 
with the Christian faith exposes one to demons and so harms one's fellowship with the Lord. Now this message, as we have stated previously, requires a prohibition against idolatry and he also gives us the various reasons as he captures the various reasons or explanations the Corinthians and so all believers should not be involved in idolatry. Now we have examined the prohibition against idolatry and the command flee from idolatry. Now we started in our last study to consider the reasons or explanation for the prohibition against idolatry. Now we stated that there are three general reasons the Holy Spirit provided through Apostle Paul about prohibition against idolatry. A first general reason for prohibition against idolatry that we have considered is because of the uniqueness of the Lord's Supper as described in verses 16 and 17. Now we noted the significances of the elements of the cup and the bread used in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The cup signifies sharing in the blessings of the death of Christ on the cross that includes forgiveness of sins while the bread signifies belonging to the church of Christ. Now this means that the uniqueness of the Lord's Supper that believers partake indicates that they, that they share the benefits of the death of Christ on the cross and belong to the church. Consequently, it is unbecoming of those or for those who have such benefits and unique relationship with God through Christ to be involved in idolatry. Now having reviewed briefly the first reason for prohibition against idolatry, we now begin this morning with a second general reason. A second general reason is the nature of sacrifices in general, both in ancient Israel and among the pagans. That general reason argues against believers being involved in idolatry in any form or shape. Now this reason, or second reason, is described or given in verses 18 through 20. Now the apostle began the second reason by drawing our attention to the ancient Israel as in the first expression of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18. It says, consider the people of Israel. Now literally, the Greek reads this way, look at Israel according to flesh. Look at Israel according to flesh. Now here is one of those things that I, every now and then I remind you. We do expositional teaching. Or we say expository uh, expanding of the word of God. What that means is that you are exposed to a lot of other things. While we are trying to explain just one thing or a sentence or two. You will be exposed. And that's what's going to happen this morning. We're going to be exposing you into a whole vast of uh, concepts of information because of what I just read. It is uh, that we do 
expository uh, teaching so that we can be really what I call rounded in the scripture or know as much as we can at any given time. Now, Apostle Paul wanted the Corinthians and so all believers to ponder regarding the Israelites to understand what it means or, or what really happens with their sacrifices to the supreme God. In effect, it is not a casual reference to Israel uh, that the apostle made. Again, it says, uh, look, uh, look, I say literally, say, look at Israel according to the flesh. He's not just saying, look at them. No. It is to ponder and reflect on the people of Israel. Now, these are things that it is so full packed. That's uh, sometimes we just read through the Bible and yeah, we go away. But when God says that, ponder, consider, think. Now you see the word, the word consider is actually translated from a Greek word that may mean to see. That is, to perceive with the eyes as an instruction given to the, uh, to the, uh, to the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul to the Corinthians about focusing on heavenly things than the earthly things, as in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 reads So fix so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal The words may mean to watch or to be aware of in the sense of being ready to learn about something that is needed or something that is hazardous. As it is used in the instruction of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul to the Galatians concerning backbiting each other. As we read in Galatians chapter 5 verse 15. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15. It is, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. That's a Greek word, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now the word may mean to process information by giving Thought to it, hence may mean something like to consider or to direct one's attention to something, as it is used in the instruction of the Lord regarding how we listen to His word, as we read in Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Luke 
chapter 8 verse 18. Luke chapter 8 verse 18 reads, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18, the meaning of the Greek word is to consider or to look at in the sense of pondering information given. Pondering. Now the use of the, in the Greek we have a present tense use uh, which implies here that the action commanded is one that should be carried out again and again. Does the Corinthians and so all believers should ponder again and again on the nature of the sacrifices in Israel to recognize that it is improper for believers to be involved in idolatry. Now the information given that the Corinthians and so all believers should ponder again and again concerns the Israelites Again, as and I say, the people of Israel, or literally Israel, according to the flesh. Now, the literal phrase indicates there is more to the word Israel than meets the eye. Thus, the apostle wants the focus to be on Israel according to the flesh, or in the NIV, simply people of people of. Now the expression people of of the NIV is translated from a Greek word that literally means flesh. Flesh. Now the Greek word may mean then that soft material that covers the bones of uh, both humans and animals and so means flesh as it is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 39. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 39. It is all flesh. It's not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. In other words, humans have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds and another and fish another. Now this where it is used closely, where of course the apostle is really arguing that there will be a body suitable for what those were in heaven, for example, that they have a different kind of body than what we have today. And that's why I usually uh, remind us, especially during funeral, that we have an inter that those in heaven now have an interim body. Now the word can also refer to human nature. Or simply the physical body. Now it is in the sense of the human nature. That human nature of course is the fallen one really. That the word is used in Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. Galatians. Chapter 6 
verse 8. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8 reads, The one who sows to place his sinful nature, now that sinful nature of the NIV is literally his own flesh. His own flesh. Say so from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now, the, the, it is really in the sense of physical body that the word, the Greek word is used in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 29 in the instruction of trying to explain why husbands should love their wives. Ephesians 5 29. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 29 reads, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Now the word can refer to people with the same ancestral connection or earthly descent as this is the uh, sense that the Apostle Paul used it in Romans chapter 11 verse 14 to describe his uh, people Israel. Again, it's where the word is used to describe earthly descent. So here, it reads, Romans chapter 11 verse 14, reads, In hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Now the phrase, my own people, is more literally, my own flesh. My own flesh. Now clearly, the apostle did not mean his own body as what needs to be saved. But his fellow Jews or people with the same, what I call, immediate ancestral connection with him, so that the meaning of flesh here is people of the same earthly descent or compatriots. Another meaning of the Greek word refers to outward side of life as determined by normal perspectives or standards. It is this meaning that is reflected in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. It is brothers. Think of what you wear when you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now the phrase, by human standards, is literally according to the flesh. According to the flesh. Now it is in this sense of the word then, that the apostle used it to indicate that from the time of his conversion, 
that he no longer evaluated people according to the standard of this world by which people evaluate each other in terms of outward appearances, social status, ethnicity, or wealth, as he stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16. It is, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Before I even make uh, the comment I want to make, uh, you see the thing that the apostle said. I, in other words, I used to think about Christ this way. Now that I'm saved, I don't think him the same way I used to think him. Think of him. So, in his, in a sense, there has always to be a change in our thinking and in our, everything we do. Many times the problem is not that we fail or sin or not, it's not much that problem as it is when we now know we ignore it that's why we get into a lot of trouble it doesn't mean we go free because we are ignorant no but now that you know and you go and do what you know is not what it's supposed to do then that's when you get into trouble with the Lord anyway here it says you see the phrase from a worldly point of view it's more literally from the Greek, according to the flesh. So then what I'm saying is, I hope that you can say the same thing that the apostle stated here. That, you know, the way you used to see people, now that you know better as a believer, you don't do that. That's what he's, he's talking about more so, your fellow believers. So anyway, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 18, the word is used with the meaning Ancestral connection or earthly descent. Earthly descent from whom you are descended from. So that the literal Greek, the, the phrase according to the flesh, may actually be translated something like this the earthly Israel. The earthly Israel. Now, I mean, and I will say people of Israel. But I'm saying because the literal Greek says Israel according to the flesh. And we have gone through what flesh can be used or the way it can be understood the Greek word. So based on all that, so we can just translate that the earthly Israel. The earthly Israel. So it is our contention that the apostle had much more in mind when he wrote the literal phrase that reads, Israel according to the flesh, that the NIV or translators of NIV rendered the people of Israel. Now he wanted the Corinthians and so all of us to focus on the word Israel. And he said, what is there to focus on? Israel is Israel. Well, yeah, we will see. 
Now the word Israel though refers to those who are descendants of the patriarch Jacob or Israel. See the Lord changed the name of Jacob to Israel as stated in Genesis chapter 32 verse 28. Genesis chapter 32 verse 28 hold on to Genesis because I think the next three passages will still be in Genesis Genesis chapter 32 verse 28 reads that's after he wrestled with the Lord Jesus when he appeared to him in human form prior to his actual coming to the planet in the way he did he said, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Now thus, after the change of name, Jacob was often described with the name Israel, as it is first used to describe his movement in the land of Canaan and as the father of Reuben in uh, Genesis chapter 35 verses 21 and 22. Genesis chapter 35 verses 21 and 22. It is Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond uh, Migdal Eda. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, uh, Bilhar, and Israel had of it. Jacob had twelve sons. So it's Jacob and he's still called Israel. Now it is true that the word Israelites was first used in the NIV following the change of name of Jacob in a commentary about Israel's abstinence from eating a tendon on the socket of the hip of any animal as stated in Genesis chapter thirty two verse 32 Genesis chapter 32 verse 32 reads therefore to this day this day means the time when it was written to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. But then, really, the first use of the word to describe the descendants of Jacob is really when he, Jacob, and his family moved to Egypt. As we read in Genesis chapter 47, Verse 27. 
Genesis chapter 47 verse 27. It is now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of uh, Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Now the sentence, the Israelites settled in Egypt, is literally Israel settled in the land of Egypt. Now the sentence, they acquired property there, indicates that it is not Jacob as Israel, that is meant but him and his descendants that moved with him to Egypt. Now the word Israel may be used to describe the nation or the people of Israel. As we see, for example, it being used in Romans Chapter 11, verse 2. I hold on to that Romans. Romans. Chapter 11, verse 2. Romans chapter 11, verse 2. It reads, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Now that when you, some of you read that you think about God's knowledge. No. It shouldn't be his foreknew. Really the better way is whom he chose. Not foreknew. Whom he chose. That would be a better way to translate it. Don't, of course, I mean the Greek word can mean foreknow, but that's how can God for no Israel and don't know for no all other nations based on other passages? Anyway, it says, Whom he foreknew, don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. So, here, the people and also the nation. Anyway, Israel is really a word used to describe the descendants of Jacob. But there is certainly a spiritual Israel in the sense of those regenerated, or as we say, born again, or those who had faith in the Lord as Abraham did. In other words, they believed in the Lord that Abraham believed. There are those who are Israelites in that sense that they are regenerated. Now we can say this because of the declaration of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul in defending the doctrine of election as we read in Romans chapter 9 verse 6. Romans chapter 9 verse 6 reads, it is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. You read that on the surface. 
That doesn't seem to make sense. Look at it again. It says, For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. See that clause, for not all who are descended from uh, Israel are, I mean, for all, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, makes sense if we understand it to mean that not every Israelite in a physical sense is an Israelite in a spiritual sense. That's when it makes sense. And that's what the Holy Spirit intends for us to understand that. Now it's like, you know, it's like saying something like this. Not everyone who goes to a particular church or is a Christian. Or I can even say, not all that call themselves are, uh, Christians are Christians. Same thing. There are people who, they are Christians, at least that's what they say, because their parents have been in X, Y, Z, whatever uh, Christian church it is. And they were born there. They were raised there. They were trained there. That doesn't make them Christians. Can you go through all that? With, unless you're regenerated, you're not a Christian. You may have all the values of a Christian. Doesn't, it doesn't mean that the person is a Christian. So, if I say, not everyone that calls himself a Christian is a Christian, it's not a contradiction. It's a real a realization that there are those who say, I am a Christian, but they're not re- regenerated. They're not born again. And therefore, they're not Christians. So when he says, not all Israel is Israel, he's saying to us, there is, among, I mean, there, are, there is a group among the people of Israel that are not spiritually descendants of Abraham. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, anyway, not all Israelites, in a physical sense, are God's chosen people. But only those who have believed in the Lord are the spiritual Israel. Now today, is, you know, not everyone that says I'm an Israelite or a Hebrew person is a true Hebrew. I'm not talking about the physical. But what really determines a true Israelite is faith in the Lord that Abraham believed in. So unless a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, that person cannot be a true Israel. Maybe an Israelite, but not a true one. Now it is probably because of this concept that the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, implied then that the church of Christ, that consists of believers, is then described as Israel of God. As we read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. Notice what it says Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Now, because of that phrase, Israel of God, some people, uh, some say, the church is, it has replaced Israel. The church is now Israel. No, the church is not Israel. The church is the church. 
consisting of believers. Whether they are of Hebrew descent or not. That's the church of Christ. But, because those who are believers in Christ are now considered spiritual descendants of Abraham. In that sense, we can say all believers are children of Abraham and we can say, we can call them Israel of God. But not that in Israel has been replaced or in a physical sense. It just means everyone who is not a he- of Hebrew descent that has believed in Christ is a descendant of Abraham through faith in Christ. Hence then, it makes sense for the apostle then, apostle Paul, to distinguish between the ancient Israel as the descendants of Jacob from the spiritual Israel by using the literal phrase of what we are studying in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 verse 14 verse 18 particularly what we are looking at where it says in the NIV people of Israel or as I have told you uh, from the literal phrase Israel according to the flesh so the apostle then in using the phrase the people of Israel or literally Israel according to the flesh wants us to recognize that not everyone in Israel is regenerated. Now, I mean, it's, I used to hear this long time ago. I mean, I haven't dealt with a lot of people this day. So, uh, I remember when I first got here in this country. Sometimes I thought, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm born in the United States. Really? <laughs> You're born in the United States, so you're automatically a Christian. No, you're not. Oh, you know. <laughs> so that, this is the kind of thing that you, you see that it becomes important for us to make a solid distinction. So this is what we believe here, that the Holy Spirit wants us to recognize that not everyone in Israel is regenerated, but that the information he has, he has or he was about to give here, is concerned with those who are supposed to be part of the spiritual Israel, at least before the nation was split into two. That's what he's trying to get us to think about those who are supposed to be. The information he gives after this description is hinting at those who are actually supposed to be a part of this spiritual Israel. Now those who were supposed to uh, be a part of the spiritual Israel were the priests. The priests. That had the responsibility of meditating and mediating between God and his covenant people ensuring proper worship, the maintaining of the spiritual life or health of the people. So priests were chosen and consecrated by God. God reminded Eli the priest of this truth in 4 Samuel chapter 2 verse 28. 4 Samuel 
chapter 2 verse 28 For Samuel chapter 2 verse 28 reads I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest to go up to my altar to burn incense and to wear an effort in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. The phrase here, your father, refers to Aaron, Aaron, who is the ancestor of the priests. Of course, God indicated that the priests were consecrated by him according to Exodus chapter 29 verse 44. Exodus chapter 29 look at verse 44. It is so, I will, cons- I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. And will look at consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. So he will set them apart as those who will serve him as priests. Now so the consecration of the priests is also described as making them holy in Leviticus chapter 22 verse 9 Leviticus Leviticus chapter 22 verse 9 and hold on to Leviticus It reads, the priests are to keep my requirements so that they do not become guilty and die for treating them with content. I am the Lord who makes them holy. Now, makes them holy, that is who sets them apart. Now, the priests, as we stated, were responsible for the spiritual life of Israel. Thus they were responsible for Israel's sacrifices as stated regarding animal sacrifices still in Leviticus. Look at chapter 1 verse 5. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 5. Now, of course, you know, it'd be stand to reason that we're going to spend a whole lot more time in the Old Testament today because you say Israel, the ancient Israel, or the ancient people of Israel, or Israel according to the flesh. So we're going to spend a whole lot more time in the Old Testament uh, this morning. Anyway, Leviticus 1 verse 5 reads, He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. 
And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Still in Leviticus, look at chapter 2, verse 2. Leviticus chapter 2 verse 2 you put your marker in Leviticus because uh, yes I will go to one passage I come right back to Leviticus after this one it is and take it to Aaron's sons the priest the priest shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now this responsibility of priests regarding sacrifice of Israel is also reiterated later in Israel's history, as we read in First Chronicles chapter six, verse forty-nine. First Chronicles First Chronicles chapter six verse forty nine. It is But Aaron and his descendants were the ones who presented offerings. On the altar of bond offering and on the altar of incense in connection with all that was done in the most holy place. Making atonement for Israel in accordance with all that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded. So, making atonement has to deal with dealing with sins, which we'll make a lot more reference to later on. Now, the, so, the spiritual life of Israel or depending on the priest in a sense. So we can say in a, in a general way that the spiritual life or health, the spiritual health of believers depends primarily on the teaching of the word of God. Notice what I say. Primarily. For you to have a healthy spiritual life, your life must be saturated with teaching of God's word. There's no substitute. That's the only way you can get to be maintain, uh, come to maintain a healthy spiritual life. You must have a, I mean, a continuous dosage of teaching of the word of God that you apply, of course, not just hearing it, but that you live by it. If you do that, you're going to maintain a healthy spiritual life. Now it is, having said that, therefore, the priests of Israel were responsible for teaching the Israelites God's word or law given through Moses as stated in Leviticus chapter 10 verses 10 and 11. Leviticus 
chapter 10 verses 10 and 11. He said, verse 10 reads, You, that's the priest, must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. So they have that responsibility for maintaining the spiritual health of Israel. Now later on in the history of Israel, this same truth was conveyed through prophet Ezekiel. According to Ezekiel chapter 44 verse 23. Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 44 verse 23 Here again it's emphasized or reiterated what priests were supposed to do it reads, Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 23 reads, they, they are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common, and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. So that is the responsibility of those who are over, uh, who represent. Go to people, and in this at a, t- a time which we live, that's the function of primarily pastors. They are the ones to tell people this is what is correct according to the scripture, and this is not. But that means it's not they are not to be popular persons because uh, what people think is correct because that's what everyone is going after usually is wrong, and to correct that, you know, people think that. Some of the pastors have lost their mind. But that's what they're supposed to do. Help people to make distinctions of what is valid and what's not valid. So anyway, we have indicated that the prison had a function of offering sacrifices on behalf of Israelites as well as teaching them God's word. Now a person may say there is no mention of priests anywhere in the passage of First Corinthians ten verses eighteen through twenty. That is our focus. So you say, how do you wind up in talking about priests? I don't see priests here. Well, as we have really stated, that's the difference between preaching and teaching. That's why we can see it, and I'm going to explain that. Now, as we have implied, though, the Holy Spirit must have brought in the mind of the apostle, the priests, as those who represent the true Israel in the nation of Israel that consisted of believers and unbelievers, since not every Israelite of the ancient time was a believer in the Lord. 
The reason we believe that the Holy Spirit brought in the mind of the apostle, the priest of Israel, is because of the rhetorical question of where we are starting. Look at verse 18 again. This is where we get the idea of priests. Look at verse 18. It says, Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? So that's that rhetorical question cause for us to realize the apostle is thinking about priests. The, rhetor- uh, the rhetorical question is tantamount to a statement that those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. Now, what then is the point of the apostle in that statement or in that question? What's his point? In other words, why even say, do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What's his point? I could just give you a simple answer. Right. But I don't do that. I have to go a long way. Establish things. When I give you the simple answer, you go, you and the Holy Spirit, work it out. If I'm right or wrong, you work it out. Anyway, so to answer this question, we should really begin with answering another question. Now remember what he says, those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. So the question is, who are those that eat the sacrifices the apostle had in mind? Who are they? So you begin to see how I come up with the meaning priests. Who are they? We have in a sense though, answered the question before we even ask it. And that is, we said, priests. Now there are those who dispute this interpretation by stating that the apostle had in mind the festivity associated with tithe that is given in Deuteronomy chapter 14 verses 22 through 27. One of the tithes that we started in the past three different kinds of tithes in the Bible. This is one of them in Deuteronomy chapter 14 22 through 27. Deuteronomy chapter 14 verses 22 through 27 reads Be sure to set aside a tent of all that your fields produce each year. That's tithe. Tent is the tithe. That's why. Now, here is the thing as we have studied in the past tithe really Cannot be made of money. It has to be produced. Anyway, all things from the farm. Verse 23 says, Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks, in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to receive. I mean to revere the Lord your God always. But here's the reason I, I say that. What I said is produce. Look at what I said. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by 
the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away. In other words, you have tremendous food from your farm. Grain, or flock, whatever it is. If it's too far away, that's why it says, wherever God has chosen, it may be too far away. Then look at what it says. Verse 25 says, Then exchange your tithe for silver. And take the silver with you, and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So this is one kind of tithe. So if you have to exchange your produce for money and then convert it back to produce. You see, tithe was mostly not of money. Things that come out of your work. Plan up, they will say to the yeah, we'll go, we don't farm. Yeah, but that's just really not an argument because, first of all, you don't have Levitical priesthood anyway. Now, the, those who claim that because of this passage I've just read to you, that, uh, that as far as the apostle is concerned, that there is no clear reference in their mind. They say, well, the apostle must mean these people here. But then, you see, there's no clear reference here, though, to sacrifices on the altar in this tight festivity. He doesn't mention anything about sacrifice in the altar. But the question the apostle had is participate in the altar. So there has to be something related to the altar. Now, furthermore, though, it is more likely that the apostle still had in mind the same persons he referenced as being supported by Israel's offerings because of their work in the temple, as we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. First Corinthians chapter nine verse thirteen. First Corinthians nine verse thirteen reads Don't you know that those who walk in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. That's what he's still thinking about. So anyway, we need really to consider the words used in the rhetorical question where we start in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 14, uh, 18. We said, do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? So we need to examine some of the key words to establish clearly that the apostle had in mind priests when he wrote the rhetorical question so let me begin with the word sacrifices. Sacrifices. Now the word sacrifices is translated from a Greek word 
that refers to that which is offered as a sacrifice. Hence, the word means something like sacrifice or offering. As the word is used for the various sacrifices under the Levitical priesthood. As stated, for example, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 reads, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, Repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Now, figuratively, then, the Greek word translated sacrifice may mean doing good, doing good, in a way that is pleasing to God, so that it could refer to praising God or to generosity. In other words, the Greek word translated Sacrifice can refer to something that you do that's good or something where you, uh, you practice generosity. Thus, the apostle Paul then described the support he received from the Philippians as sacrifice that is pleasing to God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 we're looking at time, it's time for break, and after break we'll look at it. 